Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome back to Your Tables Ready. I'm your host, Carol Hadar. Today is Ugly Dumpling's third birthday. They opened exactly three years ago today, so I thought we could celebrate them by releasing their episode today. Luckily, I got to do this interview face-to-face in the restaurant the week lockdown was lifted. We sat in the downstairs seated part of the restaurant, completely alone, two meters apart, but right next to the kitchen, so you can hear the service bell going on and off, and the waiters running up and down the stairs with food. Um, So Ugly Dumpling is a super casual global fusion dumpling restaurant right in the middle of Soho. They serve really delicious twists on the typical Asian dumpling. Here you'll find creations like the cheeseburger dumpling and fish and chips dumpling and mushroom and truffle dumpling. And then for dessert, pecan pie and like strawberry cheesecake and Nutella. And yeah, I know they all sound so wrong except for the dessert ones, but trust me, they're so, so good. And all the dumplings are only three for five pounds. Ugly Dumpling was actually one of my biggest saviors during lockdown. I really loved their frozen dumplings. They were hand delivered by the founder himself, Philip Chaikin. In fact, that's how I got to know Philip, through my many orders via Instagram. Philip's story is really interesting because he actually outsourced everything about his restaurant. With the right amount of money and the right research, you can actually open up a restaurant without basically any experience in the industry. So Philip quit his job in big corporate consulting land to start a dumpling restaurant. He found a street food vendor called The Ugly Dumplings, run by Ping Wong, and asked if she would go into business with him. And that was as simple as that. So the story is super different to all the other ones we've heard on the show so far. It's well worth a listen. He also gives some really good advice on how he made it. Okay, here's Philip. Well, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? So you're Russian, but you... I am Russian, yes. So I... I came to England when I was 15 in 2004. My parents, I guess they wanted to get rid of me and they sent me to study here. So I grew up basically, emotionally I grew up here. (laughs) In boarding school? In boarding school, yes, in prison. (laughs) And um, yeah, I've lived in London since 2007, went to university here. And uh, I guess I always wanted to have a corporate career. I did an, an internship in Morgan Stanley. I did an internship in an advisory company. And then I joined Gazprom, the big Russian gas producer um, in local kind of trading office. And I worked there for five years. And then I got tired of working in a corporate environment. And I realized that I hate nothing more than being in the corporate world. So I decided to leave and open my restaurant. Weren't you also a swimmer? Yeah, I, uh, I did a lot of swimming when I was a kid in Russia. And I was like in the Olympic Reserve something. But uh, there were people there my age that were much more talented than me. Aww. So even though I was really good, there were much better people. But I could still, I, I mean, I taught a few of my colleagues in Gazprom how to swim. You did? Yeah. <laughs> so you tired of corporate, but opening your own businesses. What was the appeal of that? So when I was working in like energy industry, you never see the results of your labors kind of. You work, you work, you work, and the closest you can come to is like traveling somewhere, you know, far east. But I wanted to see, you know, happy people eating the food that you serve them, etc. And that was kind of the appeal. But you have no sort of chefing background. No. (laughs) No. So how come food then? Well, 
It's a good question. I think primarily because whenever I went to restaurants, I would analyze what's going on, would analyze like what would I do better. So maybe I should always have been connected to restaurants in some sort, but opening one is a different thing. So I decided I might as well do it because I had the opportunity. And I'm guessing you had the funding yourself, right? It was that it was like, I'm lucky enough to have enough money to do this myself. I have an interest in food. I can just yeah. kind of look for the things that I don't know about and other people to help me. Yeah. And so how did you then come on to doing dumplings specifically? In Russian culture, dumplings are a big thing. And we always think, oh, you know, dumplings, we call them pelmeni. They're kind of very authentic Russian thing, even though now that I realize that they never have been Russian, they came from China. But we really kind of... Think, oh, yeah, of course, because there's Russian dumplings. They are Russian dumplings, yeah. but they all came from Siberia and right. from Siberia, no, from, the, from China, went north. So all dumplings came from China. Right. Um, but then um, in Russia, we have this uh, kind of concept, pilmienne, so a place which served dumplings, like a dumpling house. And I th- my friends were joking that yeah, you should open a d- dumpling house. But then uh, opening a Russian pilmienne wouldn't work in London. Why? Uh, it's a very specific thing and Russian dumplings tend to be very bland. Right. Um, <laughs> and actually, actually, there's a funny story about that. Tell us. Uh, when, I, when I met Ping, uh, my business partner, for the first time, I took her to Zima, the Russian restaurant in Frist Street in Soho. Yeah. And they were serving... Um, venison dumplings but russian style right. boiled with some sour cream on the side and while eating them i realized that they're actually quite bland and we enjoy it russians they, they, the only spices we have are salt and pepper and even that we are kind of scared of using <laughs> and then i i looked at ping's face and i was like yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she realized straight away that yeah this is bland so we're gonna do something else and i'm like yeah of yeah. course we're gonna do something else yeah yeah. So tell us more about Ping. So she had, she was already running a dumpling. Yeah, so Ping and her back then boyfriend and fiance, now husband, Panos, they were running a street food store called V Ugly Dumplings. And um, while thinking about opening a dumpling restaurant, I also thought of the name Ugly Dumpling or Ugly Dumplings. And then I googled it and she was already there. And I, I thought, screw it. But then... Uh, I tried her product and it was quite a fun time in my life when I was just going around London trying all sorts of dumplings. And I really liked her dumplings and I approached her and then we went to Ziman Free Street and we discussed it over and they were open to kind of a project together. Which stall were they? Which uh, marketplace were they in? Uh, they were actually, they were quite consistent. Uh, they work with uh, Shepherd's Market, so they're doing this Duke of York Square in Partridges in uh, Chelsea. They were doing uh, Piccadilly Market in, well, literally St. James's Church, Piccadilly, and quite a few different ones. They were doing the Primrose Hill Festival, and they're still doing that. And I remember I went to Duke of York Square, and they had another dumpling uh, vendor, which I'm not going to name, <laughs> which I didn't enjoy as much, and they've somehow disappeared since. But Ping's dumplings were really, like, yeah. top of the... And what, were you just like, hey, I really love your dumplings. Do you think we could go out for dinner and have a chat about doing business together? Yeah, basically, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's almost word to word what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had you written any sort of business plan? Uh, yeah, I was, I was so kind of new to the, this whole thing of commercial property. I didn't know anything. I thought maybe 
maybe we could invest into a commercial property in London and then open the restaurant there and have kind of um, bigger return than you would otherwise renting it out. But then I realized that it's almost impossible to buy commercial property in London. Is it? How come? Yeah, because there's big landlords that you, you have to deal with and they, they have big portfolios, they have plans for how they're going to set up this street, this street. So someone like Shaftesbury, which is our landlord here in Carnaby, they're great. They plan everything, every street, they know where everything's going to be. So it's impossible to compete with them. Okay, so then you went back to, so I went I'll back just do to, a restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I'll just do a restaurant. I made a business model because that was my job before. I was a consultant, so I knew how to do an Excel spreadsheet and build a financial model. And then, of course, as any financial model, it's not representative of reality whatsoever. <laughs> then I got it pretty close. And a few times, you know, I made a few mistakes along the way. But with modeling, that was always, always pretty close. Oh, good. And so, you've, so you guys have decided over dinner, we're going to be partners. I'm guessing you have a bigger share in the yeah, restaurant. Yeah, yeah. I'm a majority shareholder yeah. and Ping and Panos, they own the minority share. And once she said yes, what was the next step? Was it then you found this place or did you, how did you go about it after that? Um, we wanted to develop a concept because I was not satisfied with just, you know, kind of street food becoming straight away a restaurant. So we wanted to develop a different brand. And so we've... I've recruited the consultant. Um, then the consultant recommended me different people, interior designer, branding people, and all sorts of uh, different professionals that can help you along the way. Did you uh, have a recipe developer? Yes, so um, we've recruited quite early on, but that was only when we already had this place. Um, we've recruited Andy, who is now in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, is a traditionally trained British chef, uh, really talented, um, and we sat in my apartment all day. I was sitting on the computer making that financial model, and he was just bringing me food, and I was <laughs> eating it, and I was like, yes, Andy, that works. <laughs> I do have any more of that. I remember the <laughs> first time I tried the miso glaze courgette that he made, which was not the dumpling, which was side dishes that we were developing, and I was like, wow. Uh, Andy, some more of that, please. And then How did you find Andy? He sounds great. Uh, that was also through the consultant because um, he was working in a kind of a members club that wasn't really working out. There were not enough members, I guess, and for visiting. And he was getting bored there and he asked, like, oh, do you have any other projects? And my consultant just said, oh, you know what? I'm working on this one now. It's going to be fun. They are looking for someone with a non-Asian kind of uh, background in food. And you're perfectly, you're completely non-Asian. You could be, couldn't be less Asian if you wanted to. So, yeah. And he started developing this crazy recipes like uh, um, black pudding and chorizo in a dumpling and, and uh, sausage meat and something else and lots of things like that were really, really weird. Yeah, well, I mean, I love. I mean, your cheeseburger dumpling is yeah, probably by far the best one. But to be honest, I would say um, while we uh, invented cheeseburger dumpling in house, then I started googling it. Turns out we weren't the first. There's right. quite a lot of people serving cheeseburger dumplings, like uh, just not not far from here. Uh, Dirty Bones have che- cheeseburger dumplings, right. even though they, their concept is not dumplings. But I guess it's cheeseburgers, so right. they, they have the right to do it. <laughs> yeah. We allow it. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. but yeah, like the fish and chips one, and yeah. the, the they're really good. Yeah. Uh, even like 
the prawn and chive one. Even though that's yeah. like more of a traditional flavor, it's very good. Yeah, Pink's flavors that we have as street food classics on the menu, they are, they are most people think they're traditional Chinese dumplings, but even the prawn and chive is a bit of a take on the traditional Chinese one. While the other ones are just fusion, they're Western Eastern fusion, because pork belly, um, she does like a five spice with something else. It's, it's not something you would see in a Chinese dumpling house. Yeah, right, okay. And then at what point did you decide to do this place? So this used to be PitQ. I found that location via an agent. It was, uh, her name was Amy <laughs> from Shelley Sanser. Uh, we still keep in touch. She's moved to Singapore now, but she's a good friend. And basically it was kind of, uh, we hit a jackpot because we wanted to start small. And that was a very, it still is a very small site. And it kind of appeared on the market and it used to be uh, home to Pit Q. And Pit Q have started uh, basically the barbecue revolution that still continues in London. They used to have queues out the block. And then, Why did they close? So I, uh, I believe they were bought by someone who moved them to Liverpool Street. And, and then they had this kind of small site called Little Pit, which they, I guess they didn't really focus on. So they kind of just let it go. Okay. I was just listening quite recently to a podcast with Dermot O'Leary. He once apparently took 16 people here downstairs where we sat now. And Ozzy Osbourne was here celebrating his birthday with his whole family. 16 people here. Can you imagine? No, in a small no spot. I can't. Apparently Pit Q, even though it has nothing to do with queues, it had massive queues. <laughs> um, well, um, we never really had queues because we squeezed so many tables inside that we had lots of people inside so in terms of following in the footsteps of pit q it's moving from one kind of audience to completely different kind of audience so pit q i would say mostly men came here to have a drink and have some barbecued meat pork scrumpet and all that kind of stuff and then now we have for some reason mostly women all right. um, 85% of our social media followers are women it's really strange. We never intended the brand to be kind of female oriented, but it just naturally decided to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love your dumpling mascot. Just, just had a quick Is that the over. reason? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it, it kind of, we had a lot of uh, different options for the logo. And I decided to go with this one, even though all my business partners told me they prefer different options. Oh, really? And I kind of thought, oh, you know, you call it ugly dumpling. And he looks at you and says, why? Yeah. So did you hire someone to, yes. was that also part of the consulting group? It was, it was additional to the consultant, but it was provided by the consultant, the, con, the contact and the contact of the branding agency. And they've done a great job. And it's the same agency that did, for example, Sexy Fish and Mayfair. They oh, plus nice. agency. They're really good, fun people to work with. They, they understand you. Yeah. Are they a big agency? They are, I don't know how big branding agencies get. Yeah. I would say they are probably an independent small agency, but they do big projects. Right. Yeah, I, th I do think it's better when they're kind of smaller and really love what they do rather than yeah. like a bigger corporate style branding yeah. company. But I mean, nothing is better when your branding agency comes for lunch, like every now and again, they're just based around the corner and they're like, oh, they, they, they're happy to see the brand doing so well. And they're like, oh, I did that. And then 
Steven from the branding agency is like, I drew this logo. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And so that, that you launched the restaurant in 2017. Yeah, July 2017. Did you have to do any advertising? I mean, you mentioned um, Jay Rayner's review. W were you like relying on publicity like that? Well, to be honest, uh, it doesn't really apply to our site that much because to fill it up, we don't really need too much advertising. So we've never really done any advertising. It's all been organic growth. We've worked with a local PR agency, Sister PR, which work in Carnaby. They, they do all the promotion for Carnaby. And I remember we did Carnaby Street Eat, which uh, was natural for, for us because Ping uh, has a lot of experience in street food. And as a street food festival, it was a month before we opened the restaurant. It was great success. It was basically 500 people queuing for our dumplings. And then uh, we were giving out brochures that we're opening in a month's time. Please come back. And, and people just started coming back. And we've developed quite a local following in, in Carnaby. So you, you weren't phased at all by being close to Chinatown? No. I, I um, wanted to move away from Asian kind of focus on dumplings. But then kind of it fell back into Asian anyway. So we're Asian fusion. And I don't mind this anymore. I used right. to hate when people said, oh, this is an Asian restaurant. And I was like, but we're not, we're not, we're global fusion. But then they're like, but you have chopsticks on the table. And I was like, yeah, okay. Mm, yeah, enough. okay. <laughs> but I do get you. It's not Asian. It, it is very fusion. Very, yeah. I mean, fish and chips dumplings is not Asian. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it used to be quite popular, but it's not there anymore, fish and chips. Oh, really? How yeah, come? Yeah, we've, we keep changing. We keep changing. Yeah. Now, we stopped doing the fish dumpling. We just have the prawn one. But we change it. For example, now we have halloumi and courgette in our new favorites. But soon I will change it back to beetroot and goat's cheese because there was apparently Michelin star quality. Maybe really? I'll get into Michelin guide one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, why not? But we, we can't change a few things now because, for example, if we remove tempura aubergine from sides, we'll have a riot. Right. Then we'll, if we remove cheeseburger, mushroom and truffle, we'll have a riot. Right. At first we kept changing like all the new favorites. Um, but now it's just... It's become more and more difficult. So maybe we need to open more restaurants and try different menus. Well, that was going to be my next question. Are you planning on kind of franchising or would it be something different? So in terms of franchising, uh, I would need to be far more organized and far more <laughs> professional in order to write like a guide or something. Uh, <laughs> at the moment, I'm just having fun. Uh, but um, I, I want to have centralized production. We used to have it before at Wembley and uh, we could open more places exponentially, but then we, it didn't work out for us in Wembley. So um, now I'm looking for more opportunities, um, looking at going somewhere North London, somewhere East London perhaps, without impacting on our other dumpling friends. Um, right. So um, yeah, the, the dream is to have centralized production and have a few restaurants. Yeah, I mean, would you hire someone to help do all of that? Or no. are you kind of... At the moment, I'm kind of... Uh, I was just thinking today, I need to do... I need more work. I, need, I just want to work and work yeah. and work. And at the moment, after the pandemic, it's a bit difficult to, to find work. Right. Everyone's just getting back to... Most people are trying to survive, you know, like most businesses, I mean. Uh, but... Um, I feel like this is the place, the time for opportunities. Yeah. But it's difficult to find. Uh, the last time we spoke, uh, we were talking about 
your lockdown dumplings. Yeah. Um, which were life in lockdown. <laughs> I loved yeah. them. Um, and I guess you're still doing that, right? You guys are still. Um, yeah. Kind of... So when I was well during lockdown, I thought, what was I going to do? I registered straight away to become an NHS volunteer because I have a car and driving around. But then I haven't got any single task. Uh, really? From, yeah, because I guess there were too many volunteers. So oh, I never... that's nice. That's nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so I thought, what, what else am I going to do? So in order to give some people work that they were wrapping dumplings here on site, I started selling them via Instagram, like old school way. Yeah. Um, and I was just taking orders for like Southeast London, Southwest London and driving all day up to like 30 deliveries a day. It was almost like playing a computer game. So it was enjoyable. Uh, but then once lockdown started easing, it's become less and less enjoyable. It's become more traffic on the road. And now I can't do it personally because I, last time I did it, I managed like five, five deliveries in a whole day because I was just stood in traffic all day. Right. so we're doing it via Slurp now, which you've actually spoken to in the previous yeah. po- podcast with, with JP. Didn't JP yeah. Fenn. Man, that guy is like nailing yeah, it right JP, now. JP is the man. Yeah. We were discussing it with Neo as well. Yeah. So we're doing via Slurp and it's quite expensive to get delivery within like eight miles sometimes because the couriers now cost a lot of money. So some customers might be complaining about money, but I just told them, you know, if you, if you want to or the dumplings order more <laughs> and then you get a discount with a 50 uh, over 50 pounds you get 10 percent off right um and then that kind of ne- negates the the courier fee yeah but then yeah the quote sometimes is up to like 17 pounds for delivery if you live mm-hmm. like in southeast london or east right because of yeah. the is it because they're on bikes like why yeah would be bikes so- or motorbikes it's, it's like the best available rate right yeah gosh okay and then, so when we were talking about that, we were talking about doing frozen dumplings for supermarkets. Yeah. Which I still think you should do. Yeah. Actually, I saw an article on Big Hospitality yesterday and I've sent myself an email reminder. And the article says, Taste Shakers seeks restaurants to develop products for retail. And whoever Taste Shakers are, I'm going to drop them an email and ask them that perhaps they can help me with uh, all the certifications required. Because we have production, we have the packaging, we have everything. So I, I remember we spoke previously, yeah. you said that it makes sense. I previously thought that it doesn't, economically speaking, because supermarkets take massive cut. Yeah, and our margins are already very thin. But we'll see. But once I hopefully have centralized production, I can go for more retail, perhaps. Yeah, I would love that. What's the hardest part of this whole industry for you coming from completely uh, elsewhere? People, definitely people. Uh, recruiting the right people, training them, and then they leave. And then once you think you can trust someone, you can rely on someone, they, they give you something else. So it's very, very difficult to find the right team, the right people. In the end, it's just basically you have to rely on yourself and, and on Ping because Ping is super reliable and panos is as well other than that uh yeah in in terms of recruitment is this industry been kind of a low skilled uh, starting place for most people in terms of work it's a very difficult one do you have any advice for entrepreneurs oh yeah try to do as much as you can yourself spend as little money as possible but you cannot if you have no experience you cannot go without advice so get advice 
Where did you get your advice from? I got it from Des McDonald, who is a very, very famous restaurateur. And um, he runs the uh, Selfridges Rooftop Restaurant and quite a few other ones. Actually, he was the one who developed the concept of Tish in Dalsize Park. I'm sure you know Tish. Oh, yeah, yeah, seen yeah. it. How did you meet him? I, he, he has his own consulting website, basically. Right. And um, I just emailed him and within five minutes he called me back and said, let's do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you feel like you maybe spent money on things you didn't need to spend money on? Absolutely. Or, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think I, well, spending money helps the economy, so that's good. If I justify that, I helped a lot of people. But I think uh, I could have spent probably three times less. Right. And uh, I'm sure I'll make the same mistake somewhere along the way, but not as significant financially as before. But uh, I guess I paid as well for learning. Yeah. In one way or another. Yeah, I understand that. And how's it going now that you guys have opened up? I mean, I know it's early days and people it's are still... It's early days. We've opened up, you know, two weeks before we were allowed to, you know, for sit-down service, we've opened up as a takeaway. And it was more like a takeaway pub. <laughs> but now the pubs have reopened next to us. We're no longer a takeaway pub. Ah. So uh, that kind of dried the revenues a bit. But um, people are still kind of eating dumplings, which is good. We're not getting even, even a third of our customers back. And I, I feel like it's going to be a long way until we're back to where we need to be. At least we're open. Come yeah. and have some dumplings, please. Yeah, definitely. And so when you're not eating dumplings and before the pandemic, where yeah. did you enjoy eating? I, um, I love Greek food. I love the Athenian. I do like um, going to hoppers or to um, local Indian places. Like in, in Hampstead, we have this wonderful rajdut, which was so good. Oh, Lots I've not of, been. It was my first meal out of lockdown. It's closer to like Hampstead Heath part, next okay. to Royal Free. Okay. Yeah, they have such good Indian food there. Even though you, you probably, you know, it's like your classic Indian restaurant with white cloth, tablecloth and all that. Right. I do like street food the most, to be honest. I, I like going to a street food market and trying like three or four things at the same time. Yeah. At Duke of York Square in Chelsea, they have this Brazilian trader that does like every time they do consistent quality Brazilian steaks uh, either in a sandwich or in a salad box. Uh, I didn't even know what they're called, but they're like a local <laughs> institution. And I just every time I look around the market, then I come back to them. <laughs> yeah. So um, I do like uh, these guys doing Uzbek plov called Oshpaz. They work with Curb and they work with the uh, Street Food Union in Rupert Street. They do a authentic Uzbek plov and uh, the owner is a decent human being. Oh, great. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sounds like getting an advisor or a consultant to help you plan your restaurant opening could really help launch your business if you don't have any background in the field. And actually, we carried on chatting after I stopped recording, and Philip said he couldn't stress how important it was to have a good general manager. They can help save you tons of money and also headache. They basically make sure that things are running right, they take care of the staff, um, and they make sure that you're focusing on the things that you need to do. I thought that was a huge tip. I really strongly urge you to try these guys out if you haven't. Get the prawn and chive dumpling. It's honestly better than any prawn and chive dumpling you'll have in Chinatown. And try the cheeseburger dumpling and the mushroom and truffle dumpling. And just get one of each and try them all. Why not?
And if you can't get yourself down to Soho or you still want to take it easy on going out in public and restaurants, I highly recommend ordering their frozen dumplings. They're really simple to make at home. You just need a pan with a lid and some water. Super simple. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us, you guys. I'm going to take a small break. I'm in Beirut at the moment and the internet's really shit. So uh, it's just easier if I wait till I get back. I have a sensational lineup for you coming up. I've got Lima, Mac and Wild, Luca, Clove Club. Really excited to share those with you guys. Uh, So for now, thank you so much for listening. I'm super grateful. It's been really fun and I'll see you guys in a few weeks. 